to the Off the Rails podcast, a deep dive into Dynasty, Debbie, and other degenerate forms of fantasy football. Please welcome your hosts, Ben and James. Off the Rails podcast, talking about what a fucking football on. Well, we're going to talk through some startup draft strategy today. But before we get to that, do you want to do a quick rundown on the uh, the news and notes that have happened over the last couple of days since our last podcast? I would love to chat about some news and notes. I think we should start with Todd Gurley of the Falcons. Or, uh, sorry, I already messed this up. <laughs> Todd, Todd, Todd Gurley, formerly of the Rams, has now gone to the Falcons on a one-year $5 million deal. Yeah, on the last podcast, we had just talked about him getting cut from the Rams. We had. Uh, taking all that money with him. And, hey, dude, uh, I got I to be honest, man. This feels to me like a guy who's washed. I don't know. I, you know, I, I say that. It's like the Rams, from, from like a dollars and cents standpoint, I think unloading him I, you know, was something that a lot of people envisioned as possible, uh, just releasing him. But, you know, one year, $5 million. It's not much of a long-term commitment, but I will say the landing spot is tantalizing. Yeah, man. It's interesting you talk about being washed. Uh, on today's episode, we are going to be going through startup draft strategy, and, and, and part of that is you know the length of the windows for players. And uh, it's looking like in the NFL as a whole, giving a running back a second contract is a bad idea. And, uh, and in, in fantasy, we'll be talking about how once you kind of get to that second contract, uh, how you should probably be trying to unload those running backs. So, I mean, Todd Gurley was somebody who looked almost unstoppable. I mean, we knew he would end up having knee problems. I don't think we expected the cliff to come this fast, but it's a reminder that it does actually happen with these running backs very swiftly. Yeah, I mean, and I, like, I don't want to sit there and, and talk like no running backs can sit there and have a, a productive career into their second contract, because obviously that's not true. I mean, you've got guys like Adrian Peterson, Shady McCoy. Um, I think Zeke is going to be one of those guys, too. I, there's a lot of guys that are capable of it. I mean, Todd Gurley's more than capable of it. It's just the toll affects everybody differently. And like the, the toll has affected Todd Gurley more than the other guys, you know, and like, I you know, I, I feel like. I, you know, we don't know, I guess, the exact details of the situation with his knee, but I'm assuming that, like, well, I don't know whether he's done, like, medical checks or not yet with the Falcons. Um, but if he does or has and he clears, I mean, you know, I feel like they're, they're at least going to feel like he can play some football. I would be looking to get some low-cost shares of him. If anybody was trying to ask for any kind of, like, I don't know, I, you know, if we're talking dynasty here, what would you give up for him? Let's just say in terms of rookie picks. So, I mean, this is the hard thing, man. I don't think I'd give up a first-round pick for Todd Gurley. I, I don't think I would either. Even, I mean, even do, landing like, at look, the Falcons. I mean, if you can get somebody to pay that, that presents like a good window of opportunity. I mean, you know, this Falcons landing spot is is the softest one. And I think, you know, any, any team that is competing, you know, you're looking at Todd Gurley as just a volume-based RB2, presumably. I mean, you know, out of the out, off the get go. I mean, you know, they could still draft somebody. I think they absolutely could still draft somebody, and that that's what I would be afraid of uh, if I were trying to acquire Todd Gurley at this point in the offseason. I wouldn't pay something more than I think a second round pick for, maybe a second and a third or something like that. But like, and if you're a Todd I don't think Gurley, that's get it done. Yeah, if you're a Todd Gurley owner, that doesn't that doesn't get it done, man. Like, you're not going to move off of him at that point, unless you're in the middle of like a full on rebuild. But it's, I mean, it's worth. 
seeing like if they don't draft somebody then he if they if they don't then he is interesting for this year the one year five million dollar contract is kind of like a damning number there it's like okay they don't really expect him to be productive for much longer than this one year or maybe it's just a wait and see kind of deal i mean it happens on occasion but i you know whatever man i would say the odds are stacked against him like having a long fruitful for career from this point going forward i would not want i would not want to bet on it or pay a whole lot for it but i think you could get one year of like some pretty reasonable production sure yeah, and if you're a Todd Gurley owner, that may present like a small window of opportunity to sell him for, you know, anything. Uh, that window might go away. And uh, and otherwise, yeah, if you're competing, he might be a guy worth, worth acquiring. But yeah, we'll see how this year works out. He could be somebody, theoretically, that if productive with those touches and getting, you know, 60-70% of the workload is, is a really solid running back this year. But yeah, I don't think anything past this year... Um, he'll be really involved in, in fantasy, um, which which brings us to another running back that, uh, were they drafted the same year? They are both first-round picks that same year? Um, yes. I believe that's correct. So, yeah. So the other guy is Melvin Gordon, and he has signed a, uh, a two-year deal with the Broncos. And... Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you off the bat, man, like this looks like a nightmare for fantasy next year. Oh, I completely agree. I like, you know, I think that's uh, Royce Freeman was reasonable last year. Philip Lindsay was good. Like he was the year before. I mean, you know, I, I don't know what exactly it is that Melvin Gordon offers substantially better than those two guys at this point in his career. And I feel like this is going to be like some sort of a three-headed monster that everyone's going to want to stay away from for fantasy. I would be scared to own any of those Broncos running backs at the moment. And I would I would venture to guess that Royce Freeman's basically worth nothing at this point. Yeah, I mean, not a backfield. I'm going to be investing in fantasy next year. And unfortunate for all those Melvin Gordon owners. It really is, man, because like he could have gone to a lot of cool places, and he's been awesome. He has. I mean, last year he wasn't that good. No. But every year before that, he had been awesome. Again, you're talking about getting to the end of the contract. He'd been franchise tagged last year. And uh, now he's gone out and he's gotten a deal. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> the days of Melvin Gordon, you know, being a locked in RB1 are done at this point. And I think that much with Todd Gurley, you're hoping that you can get volume based RB2 numbers out of him. Uh, I guess between these two guys, who would you rather own for Dynasty? Because I think you know next year it's it's clearly Todd Gurley. But if you were a Dynasty owner, it's do not, you want I, Todd Gurley this, or Melvin Gordon? I, and that's the thing is it's not necessarily clearly Todd Gurley. I don't think there's guys on roster that are going to necessarily compete with him. In fact, I'll, I'll just say I, I don't think there's guys on roster um, for a starting job at least. But I still think that they they could draft a running back. Um, but as of today, with the way that it currently stands, I do sit there and see like Todd Gurley is that's your backfield. And I sit there and I see Melvin Gordon, like this is going to be a clusterfuck. I have no idea whose backfield this is going to be. Uh, I do. I'd, I'd rather have Todd Gurley. And even though I think Melvin Gordon still has like more gas left in the tank. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the point I was trying to get. at. I think, you know, Melvin Gordon, I think he, he can sustain for a few more years. He's got less tread on the tires. He doesn't have, you know, the substantial knee injuries that Todd Gurley has had. Um, and I think that he can 
still contribute for, for multiple years. It is just going to be a question of how that situation shakes out. But I mean, I would think, you know, they're bringing in a three down running back. I think they're going to use him. He's going to be the one with the highest ceiling, obviously out of the group, just from his, his three down skill set. Uh, and, but I can't imagine myself investing in him. Like in, I'm even thinking about in, in redraft, he's probably going in what, like the fourth, fifth round. And I, and I just don't know if I would invest in that. I don't, I don't know what, what Melvin is. Gordon is. Yeah. Oh, dude, at this point, no, I couldn't imagine. No. Okay. Well, um, you know, both of those guys, again, you could see some returns this year. We don't know what like long-term that looks like, but again, both these guys have uh, concluded their rookie contracts. They're heading into year six in the NFL. And that's just kind of, uh, it appears, you know, when you see uh, players role and productivity start to diminish at the running back position. I mean, yes, um, I'm, I, I'm not going to, I do like keep saying there's like generational guys out there that, that have lasted longer than that. I'm not going to fight though. The, like, I don't know that the average running back, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna see a drop off in productivity at that point. So, uh, moving on, we have uh, a little bit of wide receiver news with uh, Emmanuel Sanders signing at the Saints. Uh, it seems to be a, a decent landing spot for him at this point. Uh, yeah, man, I would say it's one of the better ones. They definitely need some additional pass catching help. Um, I think that his skill set is one that would fit really well with what they do. Yeah. His route running ability is, is going to fit really nicely on that team. Yeah. He got paid pretty well to all things considered. I mean, dude, you know, at this point he's 33 years old, got two years, $16 million. I've got to imagine they're planning to, you know, feature him as the number two target on that team. Question mark. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anybody else that's established. I think that's kind of the point is that it's like, yeah, this is going to be the number two, and then Traquan's going to be like going deep, kind of thing. Um, they you still know, they still need more help in that wide receiver core. They do. Um, we'll see what kind of resources they invest in it at that point. But it's going to be, you know, this offense is still going to keep keep humming, and I think Emmanuel Sanders. That's that's a good addition. I don't know where that lands him for fantasy, probably in like the wide receiver three territory. But uh, again, at his age, it seems like this guy just keeps from year to year making himself fantasy relevant, even into, uh, like you said, his age 33 season. Yep, 100%. I like him as a wide receiver three with uh, an upside question mark. Obviously, as a dynasty asset at 33 years old, I, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't be paid a lot to acquire, but you know. Again, trying to make a move to win a league, toss out like a third round pick or something, and uh, and you might be able to uh, to get Emmanuel Sanders, and and that other guy will be happy about it. Uh, and that pretty much concludes uh, free agency news. There has been a little bit around the quarterbacks. So uh, Cam Newton, Andy Dalton, Jameis Winston are still without new homes. Um, so we're waiting to see what happens there. We did have a little bit of minor quarterback news, though, in Brian Hoyer going to the Patriots, uh, making their quarterback room now him and Jared Stidham. So uh, I don't know. So, still some, yeah, still some uncertainty in that in that quarterback room. But uh, you know, this is a guy familiar with the system going back to the team. Uh, who knows in in superflex te- leagues. 
Superflex Dynasty Leagues, whether or not this ends up being the guy that, that starts some games next year. So, uh, James, do you feel like the Patriots have their, their starting quarterback for 2020 on roster right now? I, I, uh, I would venture to guess no, unless they really actually do love Jared Stidham. Uh, they, you know, they've, they've floated out some, some stuff that they do really like the guy. That's not, you know, <laughs> he was a fourth round pick. We haven't seen anything of him. I have, uh, like I listened to uh, Chris Long podcast where he had Jim Nagy on, uh, who runs the senior bowl. And he had a lot of good things to say about Stidham saying that like he was more of a talent than, than a fourth round pick. Um, somebody who had produced in college and and was like a good player who had two like really solid seasons, uh, but his senior year was was pretty bad. So uh, he may actually be interesting again in dynasty superflex leagues. This is somebody who he might be owned. He might not be though. Like there's there's a good chance in a superflex league, depending on how deep you are, that that he's still out there and available. And and that's also interesting. You know, both of these. Guys. Oh, I am I am sure he is owned in the vast majority of superflex leagues, man. I mean, he was a drafted quarterback to the Patriots. Um, I mean, he's at least owned somewhere. But that's fair. Uh, you know, what is his value right now? I don't know, man. I would say he's got at least a, a percentage chance, you know, in the tens somewhere to be to be like the guy to at least get the chance next year. I mean, and like part of that is you got to look at the landscape here and it's n- not like um, overwhelmingly positive for the Patriots if they're not going to be able to make a move in the draft, which they're not really in the position to do. You know, like you mentioned, the guys that are out there still, Jameis Winston, Cam Newton, Andy Dalton, I mean, all of those guys, dude, are are more mistake prone than I think Belichick will have the patience for, and uh, none none of them outside of Cam really possess that like whatever, dude. I, you know, u- unique traits or special talent that you know he could do creative things with. Um, and I don't. I just I think Cam's health is very questionable at this point. So I, dude, I don't know what what they're gonna do. I think it's gonna be Jared Stidham. Maybe it's Jared Stidham. All right. Well, I feel like we have uh, covered enough free agency news here uh, for this podcast. Are you ready to start getting into the topic that we're really here for, which is talking about startup draft strategy? Yeah, I forgot that's what we were doing. <laughs> well, uh, we have uh, concluded the new, the note section. Glad you are locked in and ready to Jim, go. I'm locked uh, in now. Super locked in. Locked in now. Um, so startup draft strategy, we're going to go through a few things here. Uh, for those of you listening that aren't super familiar with the dynasty and startup format, we'll, uh, just give some brief, uh, a brief breakdown on, uh, kind of the meaning of that and, and what the startup draft looks like. Uh, and then we'll actually get into the strategy and team building for, uh, for your startup drafts and, and how to, um, really actually complete one of these. I think uh, off the top here, uh, Ben, let's just like dig into your uh, like what a startup draft is and, and how that compares uh, to redraft. Sure. Obviously, obviously, when we're talking about a, a startup draft, we're referring to a dynasty league, and it is the initial draft in which all of the current NFL players are drafted onto each team for you to start said dynasty league. And then obviously on a going forward basis in a dynasty league, you do continue to have drafts every year, but they're only rookie drafts. Um, everybody's team, the basis of it, you know, comes from this startup draft that happens 
at the very beginning, year one of a dynasty league. Um, the key difference, obviously, versus redraft is you're you're starting your dynasty league. So uh, all the players that you've got are gonna are gonna be the guys you carry over year to year. So I, there's a lot more uh, depth that goes into the strategy of it, long term planning. Uh, that goes into the strategy of it. You can't just be thinking about what's going to be happening this year. You really need to understand uh, trajectories and, and take some gambles uh, on on certain guys or whatever. And I, you know, well, there's a bunch of detail about all of that that we'll get into here. But yeah, that's the general concept of the startup draft. Yeah, and your startup draft is obviously going to skew younger than a standard redraft, right? Like you're going to have more guys going earlier that that are younger and look um, poised to be uh, dynasty starters for, for multiple years. Like you said, you're not just building for the one year. So when you're doing your redraft league, you're planning for building your team for that one year. Your roster sizes are pretty limited. Uh, in a dynasty league, uh, you can carry, it seems like the minimum you see from a dynasty league is, is like 28, 30 total players. And, uh, and yeah, you're holding on to younger guys that wouldn't be at all valuable in your normal redraft league. Guys that may not even produce for this year uh, could barely produce the following year that you're taking shots on and you're letting your team grow and letting the players uh, return value for you over time. So um, very different than, uh, than a standard redraft, uh, but it's something that for both of us uh, became really addicting. And uh, there are a few things in fantasy football, like a startup draft. Oh, completely agree, man. I, like the startup draft is a beautiful thing. And I, you know, like I remember my very first dynasty startup draft and some of the subsequent ones from there. And it's like, you know, dude, a lot of it was just like based solely upon uh, like player evaluation in terms of like how I kind of assemble the teams. And I tend to lean like very young kind of thing without really like thinking about why other than I wanted to like have, you know, the longest careers for my players or whatever. Um, and then like, you know, as I've kind of gone further into this, you know, there is a lot more strategy I, that is at play for you to take advantage of outside of just who the guys are that you were selecting. And so I think we wanted to break down what some of those, uh, different approaches might look like. Yeah, for sure. And then, uh, just, you know, briefly talking about it again, we say like the overall rosters are a little bit bigger in a, uh, in a dynasty league. So it makes that startup draft very long. Uh, and also then you're looking at uh, what your like standard roster sizes are uh, in starting lineups. And you're building your teams, obviously, for, for those starting lineups. So you could have, uh, you know, much like redraft, you can start one quarterback. Uh, you can do a super flex. Uh, you're generally starting multiple of each one of the skill position groups of running back and wide receiver, one tight end, and then some flex built in there. Uh, you have leagues that have IDP. Again, just like like redraft, you can really um, change the league however you want to do. Um, we tend to, Ben, in, in most of our leagues, try to stick to offensive skill position players only. And that's been something that's uh, served us well over the years, you know, mixing in IDP here and there. Uh, but it's easiest, you know, for a league and for building over time to really focus on offense. Yeah. I mean, dude, I would say like the purest, cleanest form of dynasty leagues at this point. It's like you know, no defenses, no kickers, no IDPs, no any of that. Just give me like a pretty deep offensive starting lineup. Uh, and that's like my preference. 
you put like full PPR on it and, and then you do like other weird things too, because I think the weird things that people are experimenting with these days are honestly building better leagues. And I, and I think that like at some point in the not too distant future, something along the lines of a super flex tight end premium format might become like kind of the new standard for dynasty leagues, uh, just because of the job that it does with equalizing the importance of all of the positions. Yeah. And we do have a few uh, of those leagues that you and I uh, participate in already. Um, we also love to mix in big play bonuses. Um, you know, that will be, uh, you know, a lot of this actual league building uh, and commissionership type things are going to be covered by us in, uh, in our commissioner uh, podcast coming up here. But uh, so for today's, uh, we're going to be focusing on just using a standard league format. So uh, one quarterback, uh, two running back, two wide receiver, flex and uh, and a tight end just give people something uh straightforward to think about and uh you know this is just so that you won't hear us we'll briefly get into quarterback super flex strategy but we're not going to really go in depth on that as much as more talking about kind of the position groups and and their windows so um ben where do you think we should really kick this uh this discussion off from um, I mean, dude, I want to talk about like the various approaches to drafts and, um, I mean, dude, uh, we'll talk, we'll talk about Superflex and, and other things like that as well. I, you know, I think that yes, generally, if we're, we're just talking generally, we'll be referring to standard formats, but like, quite frankly, man, most of the strategy can kind of apply across a lot of different formats. So, so first thing to, uh, to get into then I think should just be kind of the three team building approaches, uh, for preparing kind of your startup draft itself briefly briefly james before we get into you know some of the, these strategy approaches i want to talk about some of the different alternatives uh to start a dynasty league other than just doing a startup draft uh and mostly that would be uh the auction startup method you and i both like auctions we do yeah and this is something uh i mean this is a whole nother skill set right in in drafting an auction uh you know most of your startup drafts You'll have a snake or you could have like the three round reversal, uh, you know, however you do that. But it's pretty standard. Your picks are set in stone. You can trade picks, whatever. But that's, uh, you know, it's it's standard. It is kind of what you're used to doing redrafts. And an auction, especially building for Dynasty, it's just a whole nother experience. It really, uh, it really takes uh, the amount of preparation to uh, to be ready for for an auction is uh, is pretty insane. Yeah, no, dude, the auctions take, takes a lot of work to prepare for, but, you know, the beauty of them is because you start with a pool of money and then you are able to bid however much you want on whoever, uh, when they come up for bid, it gives you the ability to, you know, sit there and obviously spend the money to get the exact guys that you want. You don't need to be, like, in the certain spots in order to be capitalizing on certain tiers and things along those lines, um, you know. Certainly, also, there's opportunity for great value as well um, in terms of just guys, whatever, getting slept on. And, uh, you know, you can seize the day for that stuff. And there's a variety of different strategies worth deploying uh, for various different auction startups. But that's really not what we're going to get into here today. Uh, today is all about the startup draft itself. Um, and at the end of the day, James, I think you and I agree that there's really three different ways uh, that when we enter into a startup draft, we we want to approach it, um, and and some of this comes down to um, 
trying to have a concise approach to what you're doing to line up the age windows for your players uh, for what you're attempting to do. We're going to get into the windows element of that a little bit later, but uh, for the most part, you're looking to do one of three things. Uh, basically, go all in on a win now strategy, which is going to look like drafting mostly guys that you're going to get value at for their production today. And so that's going to be guys like the Emmanuel Sanders of the world, who we were talking about earlier, who's 33 years old and could be in a position where it's like he's going to be productive for fantasy purposes this year, maybe another year or something along those lines. But you know, the long term outlook on a 33 year old wide receiver isn't isn't great. But you're going to get him relatively cheap. And so maybe you invest in a lot of guys that are like that. You get a couple of guys that are like younger high end talents or whatever and then you go you go for the gold kind of thing like you're going to try and win out of the gates here one um you know the, the the second approach is building young and kind of like we're basically setting up for a rebuild from the start and this is one that james i think i would love to hear your thoughts on because this is one that i think you and i both prefer to deploy if i if i had to say if, if we know it's going to be a long-term dynasty league yeah for sure i mean it's best you know we love and are okay with taking a long approach and actually getting the guys that we want and building something that is sustainable. Uh, when you go kind of the all in route, that really gives you a short window. And from there, you have to either accept a rebuild later or continue kind of to mortgage your future uh, in the way that you see like a Saints or uh, or even like a Texans do in the NFL. And um, going all in right away, uh, it can present some opportunities for you that not all, everybody in the league is going to be doing it. But um, overall, it, it can be really tough to do to do a build. And yeah, I always prefer building younger, focusing on uh, on players that are going to have uh, a longer window for me to uh, to actually have some sustainable success over a period of time. If you go all in, you've probably got one, maybe two years, and then you're entering a rebuild. Whereas if you start uh, skewing a little bit younger and setting your team up for uh, for a long term. That uh, that can allow for for really your ability to control what your future looks like, but that obviously presents uh, some risks in that uh, your evaluations of players could be completely off, and and you could end up uh, in a place where you are um, you know never actually reaching real success. Yeah, re- you know, starting starting with like the intention of basically rebuilding from the get go is. I, you know, whatever, I would say more of an advanced tactic and you do kind of have to know what you're doing on the talent evaluation side of things, or at least have some sources that you trust very much on that side of things, because that's what it's all about, man. I mean, you need to sit there and nail on some young guys. Uh, you know, usually in startup drafts, you're able to trade some amount of your future capital. It's a great idea to acquire some of that, giving away some draft picks in this current draft or something like that, because obviously you'll get the discount on the kind of time value of money, um, you know, stockpile younger guys. There's there's guys that you can take that are kind of like lottery ticket younger guys as well and hope that they pan out. But uh, anyone that you can get on before they've panned out or broken out or whatever, obviously you can get a banging deal on. And so uh, it's a great way to build a team that you can turn into, uh, you know, like a super team of sorts a few years down the road or a couple of years down the road if you play your cards right. But it is, it is a bit of a risk there that, you know, you miss on your evaluations because the evaluations are absolutely, absolutely critical for deploying a strategy like that. They are, yeah. And, uh, you know, when, uh, like you said, when you're doing that rebuild or the kind of build, uh, prepare for the future, don't 
necessarily tried to go for success this year, you're able to take advantage of that time value of money equation. So in being willing to, to know that you're not going to succeed in year one, that frees you up for a lot of opportunities to, uh, like you said, gather future draft capital or uh, focus on guys that you know may take two or three years and, and other guys aren't willing to uh, to take on that burden and that development curve. So you sure. really get to, uh, to to build your team uh, to be exactly what you want it to be and kind of build for you want to have in mind two, maybe three years down the road. And you have to be willing to uh, to wait that long, right? Very rarely are you going to build something for the future and then in year two truly be uh, competing for championships because you would really have to have nailed everything at that point. I mean, it's certainly possible, and, and you could definitely get like close enough, um, and you know that you could ship off some of that draft capital you've acquired, or some other guys that you have to bring in some of the pieces to like bring it over the top to like start competing. And that's definitely a way to do it to shortcut it a little bit. I prefer if you've got like a good outlook on everybody that you've got to just keep cultivating it until you get there. But yeah, yep. I, you know, it's it's a good strategy. Um, it's one that does require patience. You need to make sure the league that you're in, you trust that it's going to be around for the long term, kind of thing as well. Um, but like, yeah, you could definitely generate some pretty sweet results with it. Um, now, like the strategy that I have actually taken most frequently in startup drafts is the thread the needle strategy, and this is the one that like everybody wants to deploy because on the surface, it's 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 got like the best potential upside. And the idea behind this is that you are basically drafting a team that is mostly young, so that your team is going to be a team that has longevity, but you also sit there and try and nail the right strategic older guys and things like that at later points in the draft uh, to assemble something that is going to be competitive now, but also have like a breadth of young talent on the roster. It is something that's pretty challenging to do um, because it, again, is, is so evaluation-driven and it's, it, you need to nail basically most of your evaluations, including the, the later guys as well. Um, but it's, it's you know, incredible if you, if you can make it happen, which is basically like out of the gates, you, you win in year one because you've got this awesome roster, you know, but also most of it is incredibly young and like you're set up to be like a true dynasty, which is like, you know, what the format is named after. It's like you want to sit there and run train on people for like years to come kind of thing. Um, and so like it's a very, very appealing approach. Yeah. And I mean, and this is the approach that, yeah, pretty much everybody in your league is going to try to do at least over half the league. Right. You'll have a few guys, you know, two, maybe to three going all in. Uh, you can have one to three doing doing the rebuild approach, and then everybody else is going to be trying to thread the needle. They're going to try and uh, and do exactly what you said. Have some youth and uh, fill that in with veteran depth to allow them to be able to be successful uh, in the first couple of years of the league. Um, that is especially uh, challenging in that what can end up and what we see a lot in professional sports is that that team ends up on the treadmill of mediocrity, right? Where they're just uh, constantly kind of on the edge of the playoffs, uh, threading the needle, never, uh, you know, you're just going kind of year to year. You're trying to to fill in pieces over time instead of letting things go grow organically or pushing all your chips into the table. Uh, and so that's kind of the risk that comes with, uh, with doing that thread the needle approach is that you end up just kind of riding a treadmill and uh, being stuck in in the middle uh the middle portion of the league for for its entirety 
James, I want to call it the hamster wheel of mediocrity. I, f- I okay. feel like I feel like it's more appropriate. You know, it is more trivial uh, a hamster wheel than 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 a treadmill. Now you could argue that a treadmill is basically a hamster wheel for a human. It is one hundred percent. I'm okay with the hamster wheel. Okay, that that works. Uh, yeah, I do. We I've certainly, like I said, we've tried we've tried that before. I you know, you and I both at points. <sighs> Have kind kind of hit with that, but, but, but mostly no. Mostly it's like to build build through youth because that is truly where the value yeah. is. Uh, you know, you sit there and the, obviously early first round picks and rookie drafts are are very valuable, but the type of player that you can land with those types of picks is potentially much much more valuable. You know, by by two or three times kind of thing. And so um, you do that enough times, and yeah, man, you you can you can throw together a super team. You know, building through the youth and like I. I'm not going to like necessarily implore that that's the way that people go, but like, yeah, I, I would say picking one of those two strategies, either going for it from year one or kind of setting up to try and have a young team. And like, you know, part of the beauty of going with a young team, especially if you have the gumption to lose in year one, you know, you'll get guys that maybe won't produce this year and that's fine. You know, you'll, you'll trade away draft picks that you could have used to get higher value guys uh, that could play this year, you know, for future draft picks, you know, you'll trade away some of your starter picks and that's fine too. You know, all of these things are only going to aid in making your team a little bit worse, which will put you in the position to sit there and have high draft capital again in that coming draft. And, you know, those high draft picks, like I said, are incredibly, incredibly valuable. Well, yeah, man. And the biggest value to going uh, to taking one of the two strategies, either going all in or building for youth, is that you are maximizing your windows. 100%. Uh, when you're going all in, you, you are putting all of your chips in the table. You are going for those for those years. That is going all in. That may be trading future draft capital, trading your younger kind of starlets that haven't fully grown out yet for uh, more established veterans, um, and then building for youth, trading any of those veterans or whatever, trying to build uh, a team that's going to be able to grow together. Um, and what that does is that affects your uh, your team building approach. And that's really uh, by position group. Uh, this is the biggest part where uh, you know you and I focus when we are doing drafts is kind of understanding uh, the value window for the different position groups. Yeah, man, I I like couldn't emphasize this more, you know, because part of the idea behind this is, at the very least, understanding what windows you're lining up, so that you kind of know what type of time span you really have here for when you're going to be competing, and then how long you think you'll be competing once you get there, kind of thing. And so, obviously, if we were talking about the win now approach, you'd be taking a lot of guys, you know, regardless of position that that might be on the older end of things and whose value have a, a higher likelihood of dropping off relatively quickly. And you might have out of the gates, call it like a two or maybe on the outside, a two to three year window that you're planning on winning, but your window is going to start like right then. Um, whereas like with the youthful approach that we've talked about, your window is more like two to three years out but you may be trying to gun for something more like a five-year window or something like that with the team that you would have assembled at that point. Um, And, you know, the best way to do that is to sit there and try and put the right players that play the right positions um, into the right positions. Yeah. I mean, in order to line up when they are going to be most productive um, and when they're going to fall off out of their production. Um, So like, for example, James, wide receivers, longer shelf lives, the running backs. You know, longer average, development curve too. longer development curve too. So like a running back, you and I, I think typically expect year one, 
you know, we are going to see production. And that's not like always like elite production, but usually with a running back by year two, you're seeing elite production if it's going to happen. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you're looking at kind of in year one, you want to see some markers of success, a few a few good weeks productive with their touches. Um, but yeah, if your running back is, is, is going to make it, he's probably starting to produce in year two. And that's really when you're starting to see the real value gain from that position uh, is understanding kind of years two, three, and four are probably going to be your most productive seasons for uh, for those running backs. Whereas with wide receivers, you're looking at, uh, you know, probably you're seeing like some uh, success early in the career, but not a lot. You're looking at kind of year three, year four, uh, before you're actually getting real production from these wide receivers that you're seeing elite production. So you have to know that when you're drafting wide receivers, you're going to have that longer development curve. And uh, and then when you're drafting, kind of building your team from there, you have to build in for that wide receiver development curve for those couple of years of runway and then start getting those running backs uh, and their productivity firing. And that is really what we're talking about when we're lining up a window is um, getting that running back quicker success lining up with uh, the breakouts of the wide receivers that you have on your roster. Yeah. Um, and, and I, you know, I think that like to that point starting, especially if you're going to do like the youth build starting with um, spending your early picks on like high end, young, high end wide receivers uh, makes a lot of sense because yes, you're going to have this longer window for you to kind of figure out the rest of the other positions. I end up like a, oftentimes a lot of times with, young running backs also at the beginning of this approach. Um, and sometimes those guys start like doing their thing before the window is really opened, you know? Uh, yeah. And that's, that's kind of scary too, right? Because you're, it is, when you're it getting is, these, it's so hard though to like precisely line up the window. And I, and I think that there's something to it where it's like, you got to have a little bit of, a little bit of forgiveness uh, on that because like, yeah, oftentimes, man, when you're in these drafts, it's not just going to be about trying to pound the wide receivers. I mean, you might go for them early, but it's like, if there's young running backs that you like and you think it's value at the position and they're going to appreciate a lot, like go for them. For sure. Yeah. Uh, but it's always, it's, it always hurts when, uh, when you've got a rebuild going and both of us have done this where we have a rebuild uh, in, you know, happening and we have running backs out there putting up elite production and that's like the most painful thing I feel like in in fantasy football is when you're getting one of those elite years of production out of a running back, knowing that that's totally going to waste because, uh, you know, they only have so many of them uh, in each one of these guys. I don't disagree. And like the more that we discuss this, <laughs> the more I'm like sitting here thinking about some of my other teams. That's like, ah, man. I, you know, maybe I need to be trying to get off some young running backs here. Just maybe, maybe just one, maybe just one for an elite wide receiver, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, again, this, this has been uh, an approach that, that I've deployed where it's like, I put a lot of resources into that wide receiver position, trying to take many like high end uh, shots at this, right? Like guys with higher hit rates and, and try to stock up on those at the wide receiver position. And then supplementing that while that rebuild was going with running backs, with guys that, you know, two years uh, in that second year could start producing when those run, when those wide receivers start popping off. And that's the, uh, you know, when I talk about a, a startup draft strategy, if I'm building for the future, if I'm going that more rebuild route, that's the move that, that I'm taking where I'm, I'm taking as many shots as I can at that wide receiver position, you know, taking a few running backs too, but I'm also looking at those running backs and trying to understand, like you said, maybe they could pop off and appreciate as an asset, 
but I'm also like concerned about whether or not I'm actually going to get those years of success out of that player and uh, and may you know factor in for uh, for my decision on running backs kind of what their um, you know what they look like three years down the road maybe even as much as uh, the next year or two yeah it's t- that's totally fair and I you know as far as like the drafting of the running backs goes, you know, if, if you are do walk out of the startup draft, like heavy on wide receiver, short on running backs, and then you get an early pick in the rookie draft the following year, like that's a fabulous opportunity to add a running back, um, like in like, you know, a high end one at that. I mean, you know, cause oftentimes and I'm not going to say that you can't miss, uh, in the early part of the, the first round of rookie drafts on running backs, cause you certainly can. And some years are better, some years are worse. If you're talking about an early first round pick in this year's rookie draft, I would say you've got like a pretty solid chance on hitting in a guy that could be a high end producer for you at running back. Um, and so like, you know, so, something like a strategy like that is, is not a bad way to go. It gets all your wide receivers and stuff like that. One additional year of, um, development and things like that. And then yes, you start adding the running backs onto the pile um, and you know, the beauty of the running back versus the rookie wide receiver is the development curve because the running back can come in and be a year one contributor or a year two contributor. Whereas that is less of a guarantee with wide receivers. Now, more and more these days, I think we are seeing, uh, wide receivers coming into the league and being elite at an early age, even their rookie years. Yeah, we're getting more of that. But again, I, you know, we haven't seen a ton of that. You might get like one guy a year. It's way harder kind of to thing, predict. Which was- it is. It is way harder to predict. Um, but really, man, like one of the things I think is worth pointing out in this conversation that uh, to this point, you and I have been hammering running back and wide receiver. We haven't even talked about the onesie positions at this point. And I think that that really speaks to what our startup draft strategy is like, where we are focusing on those positions where we're starting a lot of guys. Um, but that does lead us into these onesie positions where... Um, you know, quarterback, we, we can get to, and we'll talk about some super flex here, but I really want to start focusing on tight end. Uh, and we talk about a wide receiver development curve being longer than a running back. Uh, well, uh, the tight end is, is the longest of them all. Yeah, it is. And, you know, if we're, if we're talking for startups, there's definitely some value there to getting a guy that's already established because, you know, trying to draft rookie tight ends and then expect that to be something that, like, is going to work for you uh, early on is usually a fool's errand. Um, you know, I, I would expect at least a second year, you know, as the, as like the early end of a, for an actual breakout from a tight end. I mean, Evan Ingram defied that through his rookie year, but, um, I think that was a unique circumstance just based on like the number of injuries and stuff that they had in that pass catching group that year. Um, but yeah, typically a third year breakout is, is, is pretty common. Now, like guys that are like high end tight ends might break out more like in their second year, or at least are going to flash flash those signs and they might be worth investing in if you think that that breakout is imminent. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, like it's, it's great to get a tight end that's already producing. Now that said, I am, I consider myself the tight end whisperer and I'm always like kind of like hunting and pecking for like those tight end prospects that I think I can get like great value on, uh, and are, and are going to turn into guys that are going to be good players. Uh, I've got a lot of Kittle shares and a lot of Mark Andrews shares, and I'm pretty proud of that fact. Yes, you have uh, you have certainly been a, a tight end whisper. Um, you know these guys. We don't really have as much of like an established shelf life for tight end. Uh, it is a very grueling position 
it's it's why it's another reason why the two of us love to focus on tight ends that catch passes, right? Because those guys uh, that aren't blocking as much, they they tend to have a little bit of a longer shelf life. But kind of with the late breakout for these guys, uh, you know, they're breaking out usually in you know their late twenties, and you're looking at uh, again. A, I feel like a shorter window. Um, you know, three years of, of elite production and then kind of a fall off when most of these guys get into their thirties. I mean, it depends. Obviously you've, you've got the extreme examples of, you know, the Tony Gonzalez's and the Jason Witten's Antonio Gates. I, you know, I would say honestly, more often than not, if you're a high end tight end, you do have a chance to extend your career well into your thirties. Um, I would say honestly that I, I would consider the tight end window in general to be larger than that of a wide receiver. Now, maybe like the, the development period is a little bit longer, um, and sometimes tight ends come into the league a little bit older. Uh, but at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, if you can get a young tight end like a George Kittle or whatever, I think that there's reasonable expectation to think that he could play just as long as any wide receiver, if not longer, um, at a productive level. Because the tight end position requires, uh, it does not require athleticism in the same way to beat your opponents because size is part part of your advantage. You know, Tony Gonzalez did this, and Antonio Gates is an even better example. He did this dude, for years after he was out of his prime uh, and had lost a, a lot of his athletic ability um, as he would just sit there and he just knew how to play the position and would use his body. So, I, you know, tight ends are a good piece to invest in. It's always nice to have a good tight end. Um, I wouldn't want to do it early, and that's why I'm more of like the searching for searching for the guys that you think could be the breakout guys and you can get value on. But um, I think it's worth mentioning, you know, tight end premium type of leagues and how the value of these guys um, changes in that type of a situation. Yeah, it does. Uh, it affects it a little bit, right? It gets it more on, on par with the other skill positions. You do kind of... So the floor... Talk about real quick, actually, just for people that don't know what like what we mean when we're talking about tight end premium. Okay, yeah. So a tight end premium, uh, and you know, there are different variations, but basically you are adding a premium onto the production associated with with that player. So the tight end, uh, you know, most of the ones that we've participated in, uh, if it's a full PPR league, the tight end uh, gets one point five points per reception. So uh, that allows for them to kind of match the production of the other positions and and kind of even out. Uh, those those differences. It is kind of one of those things, though, with with the tight end that you know that tight end one territory. That's a pretty low bar to clear, right? And there's really just a few guys producing at an elite level on a year to year basis, and then many of the other guys are are like pretty interchangeable. And so, well, they tight are, end, and they they cycle in and out like frequently enough too. It's like I agree with you completely. There are guys at the very, very high end, and I either want to acquire those guys or I'm going to take my fucking shots on the back end. Yeah. And so investing a lot of resources in kind of your middle tier tight ends is, is sort of, unless you expect that guy to break out and become one of the top tier guys, uh, it's more of a value. Yeah. Either get the top end guy or be happy kind of taking your shots at that. Yeah. But like as a, and, for, for instance, like a Mark Andrews and a George Kittle were both guys that headed into their breakout year in the NFL were available at like the very back end of, of like yep. both, both dynasty drafts and redrafts. I would say even guys like, like Travis Kelsey is another example of that, that, sure. you know, before he became like a real guy, like, again, when you're talking about this three, four year development curve for these guys, 
a lot of people just get sick of holding on to them for that long, right? Like people don't want to hold tight ends for that long. Yeah, see, like this is this is the problem. You like when you're talking about that man, uh, that is not like who Travis Kelsey was or George Kittle or Mark Andrews. It's like all of those guys. Travis Kelsey didn't play his rookie year because he he was injured, like in training camp or something like that. But he missed the entire season. And that dude, he like maybe he didn't for fantasy purposes, like you know break break the scales or something like that the next year. But like he broke out in in like his his like second year in the league, his first real year playing. Like he was clearly and obviously like a dude at that point. And I feel like with tight ends, like you know, dude. And this is kind of the same way with wide receivers too. It's like if you're gonna be a dude. It's it's it. There are at least signs of it that are happening um, earlier than the the time period in which you break out. Rare is it that like somebody just kind of is like treading along, and then all of a sudden just like fucking boom, one year breaks out like Devontae Parker. Fair enough. Yeah, no, it is. You do normally kind of see markers um, by by position of guys kind of breaking out and, and becoming somebody that uh, that announces themselves as as a fantasy asset, uh, and then. Kind of the last position for us to talk about here is quarterbacks. And this is a position that really, especially over the last few years, uh, I felt like quarterback was something that had like a longer development curve. Like, you know, sometimes guys were even getting drafted as like high-end first-round picks and and sitting for a year or something. And, and now uh, this is a position where guys are coming in and they're producing immediately. Uh, and the thing about quarterback is also, you know, really... This is the longest window of, of any position group is that quarterback. Yeah, man, I, it, it is. And like if we are talking about this from the standpoint of, of some sort of a standard uh, setup, you know, where it's a one quarterback situation, the value of the quarterback is not super high. Um, I, and like you and I are both kind of in the boat in these situations where it's like, dude, I'm not going to end up with the Patrick Mahomes or the Lamar Jackson's like almost almost ever. I'm much more interested in, you know, the guys who like, you know, at least over the years, the Philip Rivers of the world kind of guy, you know, or the Ben Roethlisberger, the guy where it's like, you know what I mean? I know this guy's a good quarterback. I know he is going to put up good production and I can get him like at the fucking ass end of, of this startup draft, you know? Um, and then you can take the occasional shot on quarterbacks and rookie drafts, um, you know, and try and build upon that. But it's like, that's, that is a good way to approach the position in a one quarterback format. Yeah, for sure. And uh, like you said, this is a position that's that's really devalued uh, in one quarterback leagues. But in super flex leagues, it changes startups. Uh, it, I mean, it, it is a totally different draft. You know, when you talk about tight end premium, we had some like that changes things a little bit. Tight ends get pushed up. But Superflex, uh, when you're doing a Superflex, that totally changes everybody else's it does. player value. There's there's no other position when you're comparing when you're comparing like a format versus another uh, that changes as much as the quarterback position does in terms of value from a Superflex to a non Superflex. It makes them like from the least valuable of the offensive players to like the most valuable, uh, just because the scarcity, you know, if you're talking about a 12 team or more league, the scarcity of good quality starting quarterbacks is very, very high at that point, especially if you've got people out there that are like hoarding some quarterbacks on roster, say they have three or four. And it's like, dude, maybe all you've got is two quarterbacks on roster and like, you know, you're going to, you're going to want to start them both every single week. And, uh, it's very, very difficult to get two good players at that position in a super flex startup draft unless you invest um, some early capital. And I, you know, I think you and I have. Well, I don't know. I would love, I would love to hear your thoughts about how to best deploy a strategy for drafting quarterback in super flex. Oh man, <laughs> 
Because like for um, me, it's still a clusterfuck in my mind. Honest, honestly, as far as what works best, what doesn't, and maybe it's because I've been burnt a little bit. But yeah, man, it's tough. I will never be somebody in a startup draft that's going to spend a first round pick on a quarterback. I'm not either. All right, that's um, that's, that's where you get your big offensive stud. It's like that's that's what you got to do yeah. there in the first round. Yeah, and super flexes, I tend to yeah try and grab some of the skill position. Uh, value and then and then kind of come back on on quarterback a little bit more uh, you do tend to want to with the quarterback position again unless you're building like a future team but when you're like threading the needle that makes you know kind of drafting quarterbacks challenging but you are kind of in a super flex really unless you're going full like tank uh, if you're like building or you think you can compete, like you are ending up like in a thread the needle situation at the quarterback position, right? Like you're going to grab a quarterback that's in their 30s, a Matt Ryan, uh, somebody like that. And then even even Aaron Rodgers, whose value has just kind of been plummeting now that we kind of he's not like that top tier producer anymore. He's a good quarterback, but he's got, you know, he's just like what, like 33, 34. Yeah. Um, those are kind of the guys that you end up with. And then you take some younger shots and, and you kind of get the value swings back and forth between the, the young guy and, and the older guy. But I, you know, in startup drafts, I mean, super flex included, I'm one of the last guys that ever takes a quarterback. You know what I mean? And that's I, just, and I, and I totally agree with that approach. Generally there at a, at a certain point, I mean, it's like, I could be the guy to take like Mahomes in the first round of a super flex startup. You know, if I'm sitting somewhere towards the back end, just because it's like, I do think he's going to be incredible for such a long period of time uh, with like some of, if not the most high end production of anybody in the league, I'm much less worried about his like longevity in the league based on his play style than I am like with a guy like Lamar Jackson, who I'd be like much less inclined uh, to want to invest early capital on, but like Mahomes may be worth it. Uh, otherwise, it's scared though. It's drafting scared what is, though. Like taking it's Mahomes? A, it, taking a quarterback. I think I it's, don't it's think the that's safest. Scared. I think it's the safest no, dude, route certain, that you can go. At a certain point here, you know, Mahomes can be a difference maker in a in a league like a super flex league. If he's sitting there and he's generating routinely, you know, several points, you know, per game every single year, more than like the next closest guy or most of the other quarterbacks, that's a huge advantage and. Uh, I think it's one that would warrant him being worth taking in the first round. I don't know that I would feel good about doing it or want to do it, but it's like, yeah, no, I feel like I'd feel pretty good about him being on roster at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying I think that's the safest route. Like, if you're going into your startup draft and you're like, you know, I want to make sure I don't screw up the first couple of rounds, taking somebody like Mahomes in the first round is, you know, is probably going to be a good bet. But uh, from there... It just it just messes with kind of some team building stuff. And again, I'm gonna try and strategize a way to get quarterbacks later. And that's that's gonna be the way that that I'm gonna approach it. And I'm gonna take some guys that are uh, you know, I might start two guys that are, you know, back end quarterback ones, QB twos. And and I'm just gonna have to, you know, sure, be okay man, piece with that. it together. I like I like the idea and the value of guys like Rivers and Breeze at this point as like being a couple of guys to help you piece the position together. Cause like nobody wants to invest in like the 40 year old quarterback, right? And so I you know, I they should be relatively cheap to get in a startup draft and like yeah, I mean it could really help fill things in. And it's a short-term band-aid, you know, you would need to sit there and find out something else, but like it could be a good move if you're especially if you're drafting rookie quarterbacks or something as like you know, supplementation or whatever to get you by in the meantime. Yeah. And, you know, you just asked me kind of how I would approach quarterback drafting, like, like in a startup, but I think it's good for us to cover here kind of overarching strategies. Like how do you think is the, 
like what do we think is the best way to do a startup draft and uh, and to prepare for a, a startup draft and so that's where I think you know we we can really help our listeners uh, in in preparing and and getting ready for for any of the startup drafts that they yeah. do have coming. So are you, we're talking here like like tips. Like if I was going to give you like just a handful of tips to go with or with things to remember, kind of thing. Like yes, and uh, you know a startup is is like a test. It is right. Like you you need to prepare for it, and there's going to be uh, it's going to be constantly evolving. Uh, you're going to get questions that are similar to the ones that you've seen in the study guides, but have changed slightly. And so you want to be like in a situation where you can be fluid and go with the draft itself. If you lock into specific players uh, or anything like that, then that, or specific positions in certain areas that can, uh, that can cause some problems. So, uh, you know, again, when we talk about going at, uh, you know, being locked into these different draft spots, the first real thing that we want to advise you guys all to do before your draft, and it can sound simple, um, we all we all do it for redraft, right? But we want to put together a big board, an actual big board of all of the players that you think are going to get drafted in the upcoming startup draft. Yes, and this would be in the order in which you would want to draft them. And there are certainly uh, many factors that would go into that most of it's going to be your personal preference and evaluation of the individual guys but you know you want to be taking into account where they are at in their development curve obviously the the useful years that they've got left and and be thinking about the lining up your windows with your players like James and I had discussed earlier in the episode um, but you know the, the the biggest factor probably that is going to alternate your rankings off of like you know kind of what you normally see out there um, is going to be various changes to the league scoring formats. And I, uh, you know, if you've got crazy shit going on where it's like start two tight ends and start two quarterbacks and, uh, you know, running backs get, you know, whatever points per carry and all, all ki- types of stuff like that. And, and there are plenty of leagues out there that are doing things like that. You know, um, I started the episode saying that like my preference might even start being the super flex with the tight end premium. And that definitely changes where those guys should be ranked on your board. You know, a tight end premium is going to boost up the tight ends. Obviously, Superflex is going to massively boost up um, the quarterbacks. But if you have got things as well, like, you know, points per carry or anything along those lines, running backs need to get moved up. And um, it is a yeah balancing of your big board kind of based on your scoring format. It is, yeah. And you want to uh, put together a board and like an understanding of like each one of the types of draft strategy, right? Yeah. That um, if you want to build, like you said, to to what your window is. So when you're going into the draft, you need to have an understanding of what type of team you want to have. One of those three buckets that we covered. And then as the draft goes on, each one of these players that you're drafting, again, you want to commit to a strategy. If you're committing to the strategy of threading the needle, then you're bouncing back and forth between younger guys and veterans. Uh, if you've committed to uh, building your team long term, then you're probably drafting more younger guys, and you're going to want to continue to double da- doubling down on that strategy. You don't want to feel like you're being pulled in multiple directions. And that's where just having a plan is going to be really helpful for you in that draft. If you're kind of just drafting as you go, you're going to end up with a weird team. And we've seen it too many times. And so it's important for you to commit to the strategy. And that's why we highly recommend either go for it, go all in, or build a younger team. Because it's easier for you to follow that path and to continue to draft your guys to match. Yeah, and I I do think it's really important 
to tier the players by position and also probably tier the players overall. Because obviously, as you assemble a list of these guys, you know, when you're ranking all of the running backs, it's going to be just one, two, three, four, five down the list. That doesn't necessarily mean that you think the guy, the difference between running back one and two is going to be equal to the difference between running back two and three, for instance. Um, and so to that end, you know, the guys at the very top end are probably going to be in their own little tier. And then there's a tier break. And sometimes it's, it's a pretty massive gap in talent between one guy down to the next guy. And in those instances, uh, what you really want to look to do is try and find the guys that you think are about to be on the end of a tier break. Uh, so when your term comes up in a draft and you're looking at your big board and you've broken it down into tiers, if you're down to like the last one or two running backs in your current tier of running backs, but there's like, say, five, six, seven wide receivers or something like that in that tier or above it, you know, you might be wise to sit there and try and acquire one of those running backs before it goes on to a teardrop um, and you're left with like, you know, the next level down in terms of talent at the position. Yeah, like you said, not focusing on specific positions. Don't get locked into, oh, I need to have a running back. I need to have a wide receiver. You're going to go best player available as much as you can following along with those tiers and focusing on getting the best players because in Dynasty is about acquiring value over time. And so you want to make sure you're getting the best player and you're not forcing yourself into picks based on position groups or feeling like there's a need because your dynasty team is organic. It's grown over time. And it's not just about leaving that draft with your players as much as you feel like it is in redraft. You've got everybody is on different windows, right? Everybody's playing different teams. So that's it also like kind of stokes the trade fires because people are operating on different planes and they're trying to do different things. And so that allows uh, for different uh, valuations of players and trades. And when you kind of have that volatility, that's what allows leagues to be able to trade more and be significantly more active than your standard redraft leagues are. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And that makes do, that's what makes a like dynasty startup draft. So interesting. I've never like had a dynasty startup draft that was like, you know, less interesting than a, re- a redraft. Um, because it it is so much more like and no there is no like uh, set script for what should be happening here. Everybody has kind of got their own ideas of how they're going to approach it. Um, I, you know, everybody's got their own evaluations of who the guys are. Um, and so because of that, man, like, yeah, there's all kinds of craziness. Somebody might be taking someone in the second round that you wouldn't have taken until the fifth round or something like that. It's just like, that's going to happen. And that's going to make guys available uh, that maybe you didn't think are going to be available. And so it's important to stay flexible um, as you're going through the draft, because things are not going to go according to script. I mean, uh, and this is even to say that I still think it's important to have a plan uh, going into the draft for what it is that you want to do, um, but try not to get locked too much into specific players uh, because you'll end up losing out on potential value gains that you could have if, if you're able to stay a little bit flexible. Um, and the big boards, I feel like, uh, especially doing the tiers and things like that, uh, makes it easier for you to kind of stay true to those evaluations. Yeah, and it's uh, it's important to uh, to really be as you're going on in in the draft uh, to like your team, right? Like we're talking about tiering your rankings, like, and everybody's going to have their guys. But the important thing is, is when you're going through the league, you want to get some of the guys that that you like that are that are your guys, but you don't want to be too married to them. And so you're focusing kind of a little bit of a balance between wanting to make sure that you're grabbing your guys, uh, but you do need to follow kind of 
what value is, right? Like it's the same conversations that everybody has around the real NFL draft. Somebody who could be a good pick, if they're taken too early, yeah, it could be an awful. Then pick. that that skews whether or not, yeah, that skews whether or not that was a good pick. And so you have to be uh, pretty true in your evaluations, but get an understanding of um, of what you know what value is for these guys. Kind of have like a range that you're willing to take players in. Uh, you yeah hundred percent yeah you want to use the rankings that exist for so whether it's the uh, the platform that you're doing the draft on right like the M, M, uh, MFL rankings if you're doing a draft on MFL then then you can kind of use that ADP as at least a slight guide uh, as you're going along in the draft and I do I think that that is like really really key advice here which is try to get some kind of an idea of of what your opponents are going to be thinking for their drafts. And like, that's not necessarily like, you know, try to do like reconnaissance or something like that, but it's more like find out what the resources are that are out there. Find out what the consensus is for these things. Um, you know, something like the MFL big board itself is always a great idea because so many people tend to, you know, they see somebody highly ranked on a big board, even if it's not necessarily their evaluations, uh, and, and they'll go after that guy. Um, and so it's always good to, you know, kind of refer to that as far as an idea of where some guys might go. Um, because, you know, there might be a guy that you love that you would take in the fifth round, but realistically they're being valued right now as like a seventh, eighth round guy. And if you can figure out how to take other guys higher at value that are in the fifth round around those times and like stave off until you get to that later point, you're going to, you're going to have assembled a much better team in the long run. So we've really covered, you know, kind of a, a lot associated with these, these startups, but I do, there are just a few kind of quick hitting tips that I think that we should cover here uh, b- before we're done. Uh, we've kind of, we've gone over the hour mark here. So we want to give uh, people just kind of last tips or kind of principles yeah. to go by when, when you're drafting. Do you want, James, um, why don't we start with you telling the people about your kind of general sweet spot approach for trying to get into like those middle round picks? Yeah. So um, I am somebody again, like I'm really, really focused on value in 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 drafts. Like, is the player that I'm taking? I'm I am really evaluating. Is the guy that I'm taking like is the range that I'm taking him acceptable? Uh, and one of the ways that I look at and that I feel like can be a way to take advantage of value in fantasy is to kind of avoid those top like that first round and really try to get in uh, more in like round three. Uh, rounds three to five, like that's really where you're going to find a lot of value. So kind of starting in pick 25, going uh, to pick 50, pick 60, that's a real like sweet spot of value for guys. So that's when you're going to get um, your guys that have uh, broken out, but haven't established themselves as an elite fantasy player, right? Like we see a lot of turnover in uh, in what the top 10 is week to week, year to year. Like it's, it's crazy how much turnover you have in kind of the top end of fantasy. So I try to focus on nailing that sweet spot of guys that are about to jump into that top tier instead of grabbing guys at the peak of their value. Yeah, dude. And I love that approach. And it's worked out for you famously multiple times. I, you know, the, the tough part about this approach is like, dude, it's not for the faint of heart because like in each one of those startup drafts, you've had to like hustle and grind your way into like assembling together those picks. It requires like a lot of working the phones um, to kind of like shift around your assets to make something like that possible. Um, but like certainly you've proven it's more, it is more than possible to do. 
Well, it's a risk. I mean, it's a huge risk, right? I mean, like the certainty of those top 10 guys, that's why everybody wants them. It's like, look at how awesome my team is because I have this dude that's a top 10 guy in redraft and dynasty. And you have to be willing to pull away from that and to say like, that's great that he's valued that way, but I'd rather bet on future value. I think this guy is going to be ranked that high once they um, are playing football or once the year goes on. 100%, dude. And uh, like... I, you know, and like I respect that approach. I like, I often don't find I've got the hustle and grind enough to, to like kind of assemble things like that, or it makes me nervous to try it because yeah, I mean, you could get stuck in the middle. I am much more of, um, you know, my, my strategy for, for startups is, is going to be more uh, take safe picks early, um, and try to use those early picks on guys that are as young as possible so that you've got like the longest window life on like your most elite players. Um, and then, you know, once you have kind of gotten through the first few rounds, you, you start taking some gambles and like, I'm a big time gambler, man. I'm always looking to shoot for the guys with the upside. I'd much rather take a guy that I think has got the ability to be a wide receiver one or a running back one than a guy who is like a sure thing running back two or wide receiver two. Um, and you know, it's, but like, you want to make sure that you don't gamble too much too early because missing on your early picks, man, can be absolutely just fucking devastating. So, um, take it kind of safe in the early goings and then start mixing a little more and more and more risk as you move on. By the time I'm at the back end of a draft, dude, I'm just throwing fucking darts, man. Like so hard. It's just like that guy's got upside. Boom. You know, it's like, I'm not, I'm not looking for guys that have established roles or production because quite frankly, man, when you get to the back end of startup drafts, those guys are rarely going to actually possess uh, long-term or even short-term fantasy value. Yeah, for sure. And that's, uh, that's a great way to like, to make sure that you're, you're building a team, right? Like make sure that you're, you're landing those good picks early. And then as the draft goes on, yeah, take your shots, like try to, to get those, those high value propositions, guys that you take in the eighth to 12th round that end up vaulting themselves into, you know, the top 50 of rankings. Like that's how you really succeed in, in fantasy is, is hitting those guys that, that make those large leaps. Yep. Um, and so that's, uh, that's definitely like a, a great way to approach it. It's also really important when you are doing a startup draft to be paying attention to positional runs, right? Like you've got, uh, you will see runs on positions uh, and you can kind of anticipate them if you're paying attention to your league mates and kind of how the draft has gone uh, as as you're going. Like we said, it's it's an organism that's like growing as as you go along. And you can you can become sort of predictive in the players in the position groups that that guys are taking. Sure, and like, do part of this too is just looking at the rosters of you know your opponents' teams, uh, you know, as the draft is moving along and seeing where the holes still exist. And you can kind of play out in your head at least to some degree. That's like okay, this guy, this guy like hasn't drafted a running back yet. Like he is going to be at risk of taking X and X guy before I come around the next time, kind of thing. Um, and it is yeah important to pay attention to the tiers themselves. Um, but yes, like getting an idea of what you think your opponent's going to do. Like, you know, it's, it is not impossible to do. You can at least get some idea and it's highly advised to try and do so. For sure. And then, uh, just circling back on the last thing, which is try to go on best player available as much as yeah, you can. I do. I right? feel like, like best player available doesn't exist, but, but we've hammered this, this idea home here, I think over and over again, and like can't be hammered home enough, which is like, yeah, do not get locked into specific positions at specific points in the draft. Uh, it's, you know, you'll end, you'll end up shooting yourself in the foot on the value front, you know, always try and shoot for, uh, the best, the best player that you can get. Yep. And, uh, and I do think that that about covers it on, uh, on startup draft strategy. Oh, surely we could talk Uh, for at least another hour on startup draft strategy. 
Let's go. It's true. Hour, hour, we hour we hour could. Two. I mean, we, we, we've we've gone uh, we've gone way over an hour at this point. So uh, again, any other any of our listeners that want to engage with us more on startup draft strategy, we have plenty of thoughts. So please uh, do reach out to us uh, on any of the social media platforms at Off the Rails FF. Uh, you know, again, we've talked about like evaluations being really important during a startup draft. Go back and listen to the past um, the past podcast that we've done, where we're covering like player profiles, uh, understanding like these rookie drafts, like these are really important for dynasty leagues that are already ongoing. And really, this is a premier year to be doing a startup draft uh, when you have an elite class like this uh, coming in as as rookies. That presents like a crazy value proposition. And, uh, and it's funny for you and I, Ben, because the first year uh, that we started a dynasty draft, which uh, it was when there was another elite wide receiver class like this. That's true. It was like the 2014 class, and it was fucking nutsos, man. I, like, I got OBJ in like the like 10th round or something like that. Uh, which like probably shouldn't have happened, but like the, the the point there still kind of stands. It's like when you're mixing the rookies in, and all the risk associated with them compared to the guys that are like proven proven assets. Like man, dude, you could score so big if it is if it is a good class, and you know you pound home on the rookies. So yeah, go back and yeah, listen. Man. Go back and listen to the pods that we talk about the rookies because there's a dude just a shitload of information there, a, an absolute treasure trove. Um, and you know, like you're it's saying, that's, it sure is. It is. It is the single most important part um, of the startup draft process. Is you know, nailing your evals. So, so go back and listen to our evals and trust that they will be correct. Yeah, blindly trust. All right. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for joining us, and uh, we will be bringing you more content uh, later this week on Thursday. <laughs>